This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I am so excited to welcome Joanna Faber and Julie King to the show. They are the best-selling authors of How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen and their newest book, How to Talk When Kids Won't Listen. Joanne Faber is the daughter of Adele Faber, who was the best-selling author of How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. And Joanna and Julie have been handed the baton by Adele to carry forward this series and franchise of How to Talk So Kids, Little Kids Will Listen. I reviewed three books, compiled lists of questions, and was so excited to sit down and talk with Joanna and Julie. As you can imagine, there was so much to go over that this became a two-part series. Today's episode is how to talk so that you can get cooperation from your child, how to talk in a way that they will listen, and what to do when you're met with really gridlocking defiance. In this episode, we cover the tools that we should avoid that cause this gridlock and this power struggle, tools that are most effective for breaking through this wall of defiance or resistance we're being met with when trying to get our children to move through routines or transitions. And they do a really great job of sharing personal examples and stories to help us understand how these skills and tools can actually be applied in the moment. They were a riot to interview. I've never had two guests on the podcast before, so it was also a bit of a learning experience for me, but they were so much fun, and I can't wait for you to hear this conversation with Joanna and Julie. Have you ever lost your cool on your kiddo and found yourself spiraling into shame and regret? Have you worried that you've damaged your relationship or screwed them up in some way? You love your child more than anything, so when you snap, yell, or scream, you're worried that you've damaged the relationship that you cherish so much. The good news is that in your human moment, when your rage bubbles to the surface, it won't break the attachment that you've worked so hard to build, as long as you learn to repair. Knowing how to repair with your child is one of the most important tools to have in your parenting tool belt. That's why Dr. Asherina Reem, Psyched Mummy, and I are offering a free live masterclass on Monday, March 28th to teach you our three-step method for repairing with your child after you've lost your cool. This live masterclass is packed with valuable information that can help you rebuild and protect the bond you have with your child. We cover how to measure a secure bond with your child, understanding the power of repair, practical ways to repair with your child, and so much more. When you have the right tools and tips, you can break generational cycles and parent in the way you imagined. Join us on Monday, March 28th for this live masterclass. To save your seat, register at happyasamother.co slash masterclass. That's happyasamother.co slash masterclass. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Joanna, Julie, thank you so much for coordinating, being here with me today, being here with us today. From East Coast to West Coast, we managed to get us all together. So thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's our pleasure. I have all of the books. The franchise started with Adele Faber and Elaine. And then we've got you both here carrying on this franchise, uh, this way of parenting. We've got both books here, How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen and How to Talk When Kids Won't Listen. And... My audience primarily is postpartum up to like five years, six years old. Mm -hmm. I've got three boys that are 
six and under right now. So we are, we are in it. And we're so happy to have you both here to unpack some of these things with us. I would first love to learn, and maybe Julie, you can shed some light on this. How did you both enter this parenting space? Because it feels like the baton sort of was handed over to you guys to continue this franchise or continue on this, this lane of parenting strategies. How did this relationship between the two of you come about? It actually started when I was six months old and Joanna was a few months older. We lived around the block from each other. Our families had just moved to the suburbs and our mothers met and became very good friends. Joanne and I went to nursery school together. And while we were in school, our mothers were studying the work of Chaim Gannat, who was a child psychologist. And they were experimenting on Joanna and me and our siblings. So you could say that we were really (laughs) guinea pigs for this approach. She and I ended up going to school from nursery school all the way through high school together. And during those years, Joanna's mother, Adele, and the mother of another kid we went to school with, Elaine Maislish, they ended mm-hmm. up writing a series of best-selling parenting books based on what they were learning from Haim Gannat. And mm-hmm. I actually remember they wrote a, a, a bunch of them. The, the most well-known is How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and listen so kids will talk. They also wrote Siblings Without Rivalry, which if you haven't read, I also highly recommend. I actually got to copy edit Siblings Without Rivalry, and I think I found a comma out of place. So I like to say that I contributed to that book too. (laughs) So after we graduated from high school, we went our separate ways. And Joanna ended up becoming a bilingual special education teacher And I went to law school and practiced law briefly before I started having my three kids and Joanna had her three kids. And when my oldest was in preschool, the head of the parent education committee was looking for some sort of event to do with the parents. And I volunteered to lead a workshop based on Adele's book. That first group met for eight weeks and halfway through everybody said, this is great, but we can't learn it in eight weeks. We have to do another eight weeks. So I added another eight weeks and then they wanted another one and another eight weeks. And we ended up meeting for four and a half years. And while I was doing workshops, this was in California. I had moved out to California. Joanna was back in New York and she was leading workshops based on her mother's book also. And in those days, I was working only with parents of little kids because that's what I had. And they said, we love this approach. We love these tools, but we need more stories and more examples for just little kids. So actually, I called Adele Mm. first and I said, I have your next book. And she said, oh, Julie, you write it. Call your friend Joanna. So I called Joanna. I said, Joanna, we have to write this book. And you know what she said? No, no, we do not. (laughs) So I had to be kind of, you know, persistent (laughs) in a nice way. She was very persistent. And like, thank goodness you were, because look at the tools and the impact that you both are having and carrying on this legacy of your moms as well. I started with the how to talk so little kids will listen Mm -hmm. in preparation for our interview. And the skills that are there are incredible, but the humor and way that you guys approach it makes it so real for me. And you're both explaining that you have three children now. And I'm like, I get it. Like, there's something about when I had three kids where it just, something kind of like changes. (laughs) (laughs) You realize perfection is not attainable. (laughs) We will fail at this. For sure we will. But there are still things that we can try to be doing. And so I just really appreciated the humor throughout because I think that when confronted with skills we don't know, sometimes we can really start to feel like we're failing and we're inferior and it can start to feel very heavy, Mm. can't it? Yeah. When you're in the middle of that chaotic three ring circus, you know, at one point you just let go, right? You do. (laughs) Like, I hope there's a net down there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Hopefully there's some intuition or something to fall back on or whatever. We'll, We'll see, but... Yeah. So there's so much to cover. I have three books in front of me. I have extensive notes and I really want to maximize our time together as I was saying to you both. So I'm sure and certain this will be a two-part series and I would love for us to start with the themes of listening slash defiance cooperation. I feel like they all kind of lump together, right? Where 
we're requesting something from our children and they are either downright saying no or they're really giving us a hassle along the way. We can't get them on board with what needs to happen. One of the chapters, I think it was in the How to Talk to Little Kids Will Listen, you had opened it up with when you're teaching and you come in using all the tactics we usually resort to, right? What are some of those tools that we usually default to that cause us to remain in that gridlock? Well, I think that one of the strategies, if you want to call it that, that a lot of people use when they're trying to get kids to do something is to simply tell them, put your shoes on, get your coat on, put the cat away, stop poking your brother. We want to tell them what to do. You know, we call them orders and commands. And it seems like the most efficient way to get a kid into the car is to tell them, get in the car Mm now. Uh Uh-uh, put that down. Did I say, you know, but the problem is that when we use orders and commands, we're working against ourselves because we're creating resistance where we want to create a sense of cooperation. And one of the things that we like to do in our book and in our workshops is to experience for ourselves what some of these so-called strategies feel like. So mm-hmm. let me actually try a little thought experiment with you right now. Yes. Imagine that you come home from work and your partner says to you, oh, good, you're home. Uh-uh, don't touch the computer. Please go hang up your coat, wash your hands, and come set the table. Did I tell you to look at the mail? Put it down now. Hurry up. Dinner's going to be ready soon. Did you hear me? I said now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so <laughs> I'm feeling cooperative. Or are you feeling like like jumping back in the car and going to get some pizza? And my husband, who listens to these episodes as they air, is probably thinking, oh, gosh, I would never because I would I would have a very strong reaction. I don't like to be told to do anything, if I'm honest. It doesn't matter who it's from. I do have a little bit of a stubborn streak in myself. So, of course, yeah, I would not like to be told. One of the parents in in a workshop I had once said, you know, if somebody tells me to do something, even if I was just about to do it, as soon as they tell me to do Mm -hmm. it, I don't want to do it anymore. And I think that's a very natural human reaction. Yeah. Yeah. And kids have the same resentful, defiant feelings that we have as adults, Mm -hmm. right? When we give them commands, we're just working against ourselves. You know, we're trying to inspire obedience or cooperation, and we're just stirring up rebellion in their little hearts. And and of course, when we're really annoyed, you know, we like to juice it up with a little threat. Mm. You know, we say, if you throw rocks one more time, I'm taking you straight home. And we like to say the problem is that when you give your kid a threat, she doesn't hear the whole sentence. What she hears is, throw rocks one Mm. more time. So a threat for a spirited child can really become a challenge, you know. So in short, we want to avoid orders, commands, threats, and also Mm -hmm. lectures because kids tune out long lectures. They've heard it all before, you know, like, why did you grab that toy away from your baby brother? Do you think that's a nice thing to do? You wouldn't like it if somebody did that to you. Look, you made him cry. Why do you have to be so mean? You should treat other people the way you want them to treat you. If you want people to treat you nicely, you need to learn to treat them nicely. You know, they stopped listening five sentences ago and probably so did the whole audience here. So so I apologize (laughs) for that. But, you know, it, it all comes to us very naturally. It really does. And so part of it is just biting back that initial reaction. Yeah, it's so hard. I feel like the pattern that I've observed in myself and even with clients that I work with is the more defiance and refusal, the more powerless I feel. Mm. And when I feel powerless, the more I feel I need to regain power or control in that situation. And then we end in this tit-for-tat battle, don't we? Right. It escalates, right? Exactly. The more we push, the more they push back. Yeah. And I'm assuming that that never really ends in the outcome we desire, does it? Even if we get what we want by force, you know, which Mm. sometimes we do, and sometimes we have to do, you know, you might have to grab a kid and push them into the car seat because that's the only way to do it or, you know, stop them from running in the road. But, you know, it leaves a residue of bad feeling. Mm -hmm. So if we can use alternatives, of which we have many in the book, it's just going to 
increase the feeling of cooperation and the spirit of cooperation. And that's more than half the battle. So let's let's go back to the rock throwing kid mm-hmm. and we'll give you a few from the book. You know, one is going to sound very simple, but, you know, in that moment, it's maybe hard to grasp, which is just to offer a choice instead mm-hmm. of issuing a command. You know, so instead of saying, don't you dare throw that rock, put it down now. Um, if you can say, oh, you're in the mood for throwing, you can throw balloons or paper planes. Mm. And that just flips the whole script. You know, now your kid, instead of feeling beaten down by a command, he's got to think about, oh, what do I want to do? He's being offered a little autonomy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One distinction you made in the How to Talk to so Little Kids Will Listen I was like, oh, I'm being called out right now. I'm being called out. I can feel it. Is the two choices actually being choices? Mm. Because I will give choices. You know, I'm a therapist mom. I know how to give choices. Autonomy is important. And I will say, you can either do it or mommy is going to like usher you along and make you do it. Still not choices. Still a threat, (laughs) isn't it? Right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You don't want your command to devolve into a threat. Exactly. The classic one is one that my mom had from somebody in one of her workshops, you know, and and he said, you know, I give my kid a choice. You know, you can either go to bed right now or you can get a spanking. Right. So very much a threat. Oh, no, that wasn't it. I said it wrong. He said, I can spank you with my right hand or my left hand. You decide. Mm, mm -hmm. So when we get amped up, you know, we kind of want to threaten and the choice can become a threat. So we have to think about, wait, we need two options, which would both be acceptable to both child and parent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And for the kid who doesn't like being boxed in by those two choices, we have another skill, which we call put the child in charge. And this worked really well with my oldest son who had a strong independence streak. So I might say to him, oh, you're in the throwing mood. Again, start with acknowledging the feeling so that you're not fighting with him. You're sort of on his side. And then I would say, you know, what can you throw that won't break anything or hurt anything? You know, look around, see what you can think of. Mm -hmm. And now you're really putting the kid to work right? Mm -hmm. You know, why should we have to come up with all the solutions? And, you know, that's the kind of thought process you want your kid going through. And, you know, that will help him in in life itself. And I had so many chances to practice this around the issue of throwing, because boy, did I have a thrower. Mm -hmm. And believe me, many times did I say, stop that, put that down. And it never worked. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> but as soon as I would give a choice or ask him to, you know, think about it, you could see the whole face change, the whole attitude change. Yes. And I have a thrower. I have a neurodivergent child who mm-hmm. struggles with some impulse regulation and control, comes by it honestly. His mother was just also deemed <laughs> neurodivergent, which we learned at 34. So, lots of big emotions going on in his little Mm. mind and body, right? And it comes out in throwing and hitting and kicking and big displays of emotion or just, you know, everything in sight is fair game, it feels like. And so there is a lot of like, don't throw, don't hit your brother, things like that, where it Mm. sounds like with the putting them in charge and giving choices, really not attacking the behavior itself. Like what is it that we're trying to achieve here I guess it's not necessarily about making the behavior stop entirely. It's about like containing it in a safe way. Is that what you would say? I think of it as, you know, there are different reasons why kids throw. Mm. It sounds as though the reason that your child is throwing might be a different reason from why Joanna's son was throwing. He was just in the mood to do a little science experiment. If I pick this thing up and I throw it, what will happen? You know, Mm -hmm. and how far can Mm -hmm. I throw it? Whereas it sounds like your son is feeling very strong feelings. I'm going to guess maybe frustration, disappointment, anger, something like that. And mm-hmm. he, and those moments, because I have a neurodivergent child also, you know, when mm-hmm. we get flooded with hard feelings, it can be hard for anybody, neurodivergent or not, Absolutely. to find the words to express what those feelings are. And sometimes they come out of our bodies when we can't find the words for them. 
So it sounds like for your child, that might be what's happening is he just needs to get that feeling out and it feels like I have to throw things. And so that might be what the feeling is underneath the behavior. I always think it's helpful to think about what is that feeling under the behavior? Because then we can sort of tailor how we respond to it in a way that meets that need rather than just focuses on the behavior. Okay, so give us an example of what would be something that would trigger that, that would be frustrating to your child. Oh, goodness. <laughs> His brother's existence? That's <laughs> 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 how it feels some days, just the fact that his brother is there, you know. But no, usually it is something emotional, like he feels slighted in some way, or he would like his brother to play with him, and he wants his tablet time, and he will not engage in play. There usually is a feeling for sure behind the behavior that ensues hmm. after, right? So this is the older brother that he wants yeah. oh, to play yeah. with him? Who wants to be yeah. on the tablet? Yeah, exactly. So of course, you know, you're, you're grabbing the, the knife hand and taking action to stop him from throwing. Right. And then at the same time, you're putting into words what he's feeling, you know, oh, it's so frustrating. You wanted Joey to play with you and he keeps looking at that tablet. And you've been waiting and waiting and waiting and hearing that. I think that's something a lot of us are afraid to do because we're afraid that we're going to make the emotion bigger. You know, Mm -hmm. if we put words to it. Or acceptable, right? Like there's almost this belief that like we have to come in punitive and punishing because Mm. you're not allowed to hit, right? So there's a real like expectation to like correct the behavior in a way, right? My mom used to say, you know, all feelings are acceptable. Some actions must be limited, mm-hmm. you know, so, so you might say, you know, I can't let you throw that knife and then acknowledge the feeling strongly and with drama, you know, you wish he would put that thing down and play with you right now. And that can be accepted. And it's actually, you know, soothing to a person to hear that somebody else understands how strongly they feel and it can help a kid calm down. Mm-hmm. And it also models for them what we do, what we hope for them to learn, which is put your feelings into words instead of into violence. And that's the big job of a kid as they grow from, you know, a toddler who flings and punches and kicks and bites into, you know, a six or seven year old who's expected to hold it together and talk about, you know, I'm angry or I'm frustrated. Mm-hmm. So we're mm-hmm. helping them and we're modeling. And I think sometimes it's so hard to do when the emotion feels scary. I have an example. I think we put it in our second book where, you know, I experienced this as an adult. I had a friend, I was giving her a ride to the hospital to take some tests. And she called me up, you know, to tell me when to pick her up. And she said, what I'm really worried is that it's going to be the big C, which, of course, she meant cancer. And the Mm. first thing I thought of was, don't say that, don't even think it. But I kind of Mm -hmm. like bit my tongue and Mm -hmm. I was just quiet, you know, for, for, uh, I don't know how many seconds, because I I knew I shouldn't say that, but it was what I wanted to say, because I just felt like, ah. And then I finally said something like, you know, that's a big worry to be weighing on you. And she responded, yes, it is with this like Mm -hmm. huge gasp of relief. And she said, Mm -hmm. and do you know what people say to me? They say, don't even think about it. Isn't that ridiculous? Mm -hmm. And I agree that that was ridiculous. And I never told her (laughs) that that's exactly what I wanted to say. And it's what we all want to say when people express strong negative emotions. We want to say, you know, don't say it, don't even think about it. But it's such a relief and such a gift to people when somebody does accept and acknowledge their Mm. strong emotions. I do see that. And I do see that with all my boys when I want to come in hot and ragey and I really bite my tongue and I try and I come in and I connect with the feeling that's causing the behavior. Mm -hmm. They kind of melt. Like they go from being really intense and rigid and upset to kind of like just collapsing into me. And it really, not all the time, but the majority of the time really just disarms them. Want to get smarter about your health, but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, 
microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MomWell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash MomWell. ZocDoc.com slash MomWell. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code MOMWELL50 to get 50% off your first box. And Julie, I would love to hear from you about the use of playfulness, because this is a tool I go to all the time. And when we're talking defiance and a lack of cooperation, I want to say nine times out of 10, this is my go-to strategy. Yes. One of my favorites, especially for little kids, because kids love to play. Little kids now, that's their language, as they say. So it's sometimes when we talk about being playful, parents will say to me, Ugh, I'm not really the playful type. I don't even know what to do. Right. <laughs> so we have a whole bunch of ideas for how to be playful with little kids. My favorite is to make an inanimate object talk. It's just amazing how well kids will respond when it's not you telling them something. Whose potty training story was it in the book? Was it your potty training? There was a potty training story and then the character, or maybe it was like a parent's story where the character, this little like green frog or something became the one that talked about potty training, right? That was Joanna. Because anytime the parent prompted, <laughs> it was met with defiance. And then there is this whole like, well, I do not have to go. Exactly. Like, well, and then the the use of the strategy, well, this is a problem we have because you need to use the potty. Like do that pulling on the, how do we solve this problem together? Which I use this all the time now. It's very effective. Mm-hmm. And 
And then it came out where we're like using this object and we in this little, I don't know if it was like a frog or something. That's what I pictured was, in my mind. It was, it was a statue of Liberty souvenir. Oh, yes, it, it was he green. Called it, yes. He called it the little green man. And he said, the little green man will tell me. So I had the little statue uh, of Liberty and it uh, would say, pee in the pot. And I I had to carry the little the little green man, the exactly. little statue of Liberty souvenir everywhere around so that I wasn't telling him what to do. It was a little talk and he would talk back to it. He would whisper back in his ear and then he would go to the bathroom. And he came up with that, you know, <laughs> and he was, what was he, two and a half? Yeah. Yeah. It speaks to this using these inanimate objects to sort of do some of this work for us. It takes it outside of being mom telling us in the, into this creative space, hey? How have you used playfulness with your sons? There were a couple of instances in the book that um, some of them were addressed, but I really... I can be pretty creative in the moment. This is harder for my husband to do. Mm-hmm. He really has to work hard at it, where I'm more kind of playful in nature anyways. So, oh my gosh, I will have them pretend to brush their teddy bear's teeth beside me while they're brushing their teeth or something. We often turn things into little races or little playful games that we do. Mm-hmm. My one son who has a hard time, he will like noodle, like I call it like noodle and drop to the floor, like <laughs> tantruming, especially when he's tired. So I look on his body to find the statue button. I'm like, where, where's the statue button? It has to be here because like we can't be in noodle mode, you know, <laughs> just like any little playful way to snap out of that like really intense emotion and he can become quite stuck. So I've had to, I've had to become very creative because when he's rigidly stuck, there is no reasoning with him and his emotion in that moment, right? Reasoning is far gone out the window and it only serves to escalate me further that it's not working. So I do love to engage playfulness. Well, if your husband feels like he would like to try something, but he's not quite sure where to start, I recommend the uh, making an inanimate an object talk. I had a couple in one of my workshops and they said the kids had pulled out all the toys. It was like all over the living room. The house was just chaos. And they were yelling at the kids, you've got to clean up. Don't take anything more out. Of course, the kids weren't listening. And the mom just got so frustrated. She went in the bedroom and slammed the door. And the dad's like, see what you did? Your mom's so mad. And she's like, that, she stuck her head out the door. She goes, that's not from the workshop, honey. (laughs) (laughs) That's not helpful. Not helpful. And he's like, oh, yeah, the workshop. And he's like, make an inanimate object talk. So he picked up the nearest toy, which was some sort of a stuffed giraffe, I believe. And he said, Mm. I want to go back home in the cabinet with my stuffed animal friends. And the two-year-old ran over and grabbed it and threw it in the cabinet And the five-year-old was looking like, I don't know if I want to do this. But then he sees the two-year-old having fun. So he gets into the action. And they're all picking up objects and making them talk and throwing them into, you know, cabinets and boxes. And he says Mm. he got extra credit because his wife sticks her head out the door. And she goes, nice, that's on the (laughs) workshop. (laughs) But if he had told them, okay, pick up the giraffe, now pick up the elephant, now get the car, they wouldn't do it. But if the stuffed animal told them, and I've had people had great success with whatever you have around. I'm like looking at my desk. I have a water bottle. Hello, I'm here to help you clean up. You know, suddenly the water bottle could be telling you to clean up instead of boring old mom. Right, right. Yeah, we do uh, family cleaning dance parties. Ooh. And so we dance while we clean and we do it together. And if I'm engaged in it and not sort of yeah. top down telling them, then there's a lot more buy in and cooperation there. Or we do Simon Says, or they like the idea of Master Says because they're currently all ninjas right now. So they like to play Master Says, and then we'll do some fun ones. And every few are like maybe a tidy one or a a responsibility one. But those are for slower moments where we're not trying to rush and transition out the door because some of these things do take extra time or they slow the pace down. And I find with parents where we struggle the most with cooperation is in these time limited Mm. transitions Mm, mm, mm. to make the bus, to get out the door. So either Joanna or Julie, are there any that you can think of that we can easily take on the go in those intense moments or or time crunch moments? I've had parents have success if you're trying to get your kids in the car to say it's kids against adults. Let's race and see who can get there first and get ready faster. Right. And of course, you will lose. The kids will win, right? And then you will have a dramatic, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
It's not fair. I had to get the backpacks. How come you were faster than me? You know, and the kids think it's hilarious when we are starting to melt down and, you know, our Shakespearean, like, oh my God, you know. So it gets so everybody in a better funny. mood. I highly recommend keeping the race between adults and kids and not having the kids race against each other because then you end up mm. with a loser and then you have to deal with all those feelings and that slows you down for sure. Right. So, right. My kids in the morning when they were getting ready for school and I was worried that they would miss the bus and I would have to drive them and wait in that interminable line of cars, we would basically play beat the clock. You know, and, and, you know, I'd say, like, hurry up, you got to get your shoes on. And he would say, I am hurrying. And, you know, of course, you know, he wasn't. He's playing tug of war with his sock and the dog. <laughs> and so I, you know, I, I think at one point I said to him, well, you know, how long do you think it would take to, you know, get your shoes and socks on? Do you think it would take, you know, two minutes? Oh, I could do it in less than two minutes. And I was like, let's set the timer on the microwave. Let's see. Ready, set, go. And he'd make it a little race against himself. And then, as you said, it's a game. And then he's like, oh, my goodness, you made it in less than two minutes. I think visual timers and timers have become my best friend. We've got a Google Home, like smart home thing on our kitchen counter. Mm -hmm. They know how to command Google to set a timer. So I'd be like, how long do you think this will take? Our family cleanup of the living room, five minutes, 10 minutes, or like, get your snow pants and all the freaking winter gear right now we've got to put on to get out of the house. <laughs> that slows us down significantly. So it's like, okay, I'm going to set it for two minutes. Let's race this timer. And sure enough, off they go. So the biggest challenge in all of this, I think, is regulating ourselves enough to be able to engage playfulness. Because if I am dysregulated, I do not have access to my playful brain. Like, I am not in that space, right? Sure. So being able to stay. You have to be in the mood. Yeah, like to stay calm (laughs) enough ourselves to say, okay, how can I be resourceful here instead of come in firm? Yeah. Is a lot of the work that I do with parents and moms and how we work on ourselves, you know, even before or in conjunction to trying some of these skills. But Yeah. How about the describe the problem? I think this is one of my all-time favorite skills of all the, of all the books that's been outlined because it's so simple, but it is so effective. Can we unpack an example of what that might look like? Sure. Again, when we see a problem, we tend to focus on what needs to happen. So if kids spill some milk on the floor, we say, you got to clean it up, go get a sponge, right? But there we are telling the kid what to do Let's give them a little credit for maybe they didn't notice it was there. We just draw attention. Oh, there's some milk on the floor. You know, I'll just say what I see. Mm-hmm. We had a mom who wrote to us and she said she was having this battle with her kid about cleaning up. And she tried this once. She said, what black magic is this? She just went off, got the sponge and cleaned it up. You know, they've heard it before. They know they're supposed to clean up after themselves. They don't want to be told again. Right. Right. So when we describe it instead of telling them what to do, it gives them that opportunity to tell themselves, oh, I know what to do. I'm going to go get the sponge. I can be somebody who takes care of problems. And there you've avoided that automatic reflex where as soon as somebody tells you what to do, even if you were going to do it, now you don't want to do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we had this really interesting situation play out here a couple nights ago, and I was livid. I'm not even going to lie. I was livid. One of my sons was telling me about how he, for days, was building this treasure map at school. They were ripping the edges to make it look old. They were drawing it. They were painting it with coffee stain to make it look aged. They put a string on it, and it's like this beautiful aged treasure map that he was so proud of. Mm. One of his brothers asked him to see it on an offbeat moment. Like there was no even attention on the on the treasure map. On an offbeat moment, one of the brothers asked to see it and ripped it oh. in front of his face. Oh. I on purpose or by accident? Oh, on purpose. <gasps> and I <laughs> nearly lost it. Yeah. But like removed from the situation, dealt with both of their feelings, but knew that like we had to solve this problem. And I just narrated the problem out loud for the brother who had ripped it, right? And I just said like, not a fan of that choice, got to tell you, right? And now we have a problem. And the, the problem is that your brother put in so much work into this map and 
now it's broken, right? How are we going to solve this? How, how can we at least try, try and fix this for him? Because he's feeling really upset. I know what I can do. I can try and tape it together and remorseful and like realized, mm. you know, after the fact, the significant impact this had to his brother wanted to make it better, repaired the map with me, took it back to him, apologized, gave him a hug, said he was really sorry. And his brother said, you know, I- I'm not going to trust you with my things again, <laughs> essentially. And I said, you know what? That's okay. Trust will have to be re-earned, won't it? That's part of the what we have to deal with here. But like without that, like going to the problem solving and including him in the problem solving, yeah. it would have fully derailed for me because I was so in that moment, like sort of blindsided by this, this event that had unfolded, right? You did a profound thing. You opened a path for the little destroyer to be his best self. Yeah. Because it would be such a temptation to say, what is the matter with you? Right. Why would you destroy your brother's work? That was so mean. Go to your room. Yeah. And instead, you essentially described the brother's feelings. You said he worked so hard on that. He's so upset about it. And treated him as a person who might care and might want to solve the problem. And he lived up to your vision of him. Yeah. And you you gave him a, a way to like redeem himself in your eyes and his own eyes and his brother's eyes. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you had sent him off to his room or screamed at him or taken away his dessert or whatever, right. he just would have felt resentful and mad. He wouldn't have really thought about what could I do to make this better or, you know, what even happened for him. He would just feel bad about himself and mad. Or vengeful. Mm-hmm. I, I think you get a lot of credit for handling it that way, Eric. <laughs> oh, I let out a good shriek at first. I'm not going to lie. I let out a big, like, why? Like, why? <laughs> no, and it was why? like, it was it was an offbeat enough shriek that my husband poked his head out of his office and was like, something's going on. <laughs> like, I, need, I need to show up because something, something just went sideways. And, but like, also like with our behavioral kids and with like really understanding from your perspective and from others' perspectives, kids who are defiant and not cooperating are not bad children. They're struggling with their own regulation, with their own big feelings. There is a need underneath there. Mm. And so my biggest concern with all of my boys is that I don't want them to internalize a feeling of badness when we make poor choices And so in that moment, despite every other knee-jerk reaction that came up, I really tried to prioritize that at the forefront of my mind because it had the potential to feel very shameful and hurtful for everybody involved. It was a a not fun situation for everybody included, but it did kind of round itself out at the end. Well, but this is my opportunity to say that even if you did the other thing, which I think we've all done at one point or another, saying like, why would you do that? How could you? hurt your brother like that. That was just mean. Yeah. He didn't, you know, and and even if you had done that and, and, you know, sent the kid to his room crying, you're human. We're all human. We can still turn around and come back later after we calm down, after the adrenaline recedes and Mm -hmm. say, you know, hey, (laughs) I was really upset. You were really upset. You know, you didn't like being yelled at. You didn't like seeing the the map ripped. You know, let's talk mm-hmm. about how we can fix it. Mm-hmm. That's such an important part of being in a relationship is that we react and then we can circle around back and we we know how to fix it. And kids can be pretty forgiving. I mean, if you don't do something really, right. really horrible, yeah, they can be pretty understanding that, oh, we were all like screaming at each other because we were mad and now we're not mad and now we can reconnect. Mm-hmm. So, you know, don't beat yourself up. And by you, I mean, everybody, you know, everybody, yeah. don't beat yourself up. You know, we've all been there yeah, and we can all come around back. We don't have to be perfect. Yeah. And the one last thing in this area that keeps coming to my mind that we haven't quite touched on yet, but I'd like to call out a little bit more before we wrap up this section is like, this is why timeouts aren't extremely effective, right? Because mm-hmm. we're we're sitting in our bad mood by ourselves. We're maybe resenting mom or dad for putting me here. We're resenting the sibling because they're the ones that got me here. And we're just sort of sitting in our big feelings even more, would you say? Yeah. Yeah. We have this idea that, you know, the kid will go off and think, gee, I regret 
damaging my brother's map, which he really cared about. I really should do something about that to make him feel better and change my behavior for next time. And that is so unlikely to be what's going on in that (laughs) child's mind at that moment. It's more as you say, like, mom's mean. I hate her. I hate him. I didn't mean to. Everybody thinks I'm bad. I might as well rip everything up anyway. I'm going to find something else to rip up as soon as I get out of here. He ripped up my thing two years ago. It's so unfair. Right, (laughs) right. This is payback. He deserved it. They'll be sitting in their grievance, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think my worst fear as a mom is that he's sitting there being hard on himself because we're talking like his social emotional development and all these things. Like, especially for my neurodivergent son, who I know has a hard time controlling his body and it's beyond just his own willpower, you know? So, And I want to say that's true for a lot of kids, not just neurodivergent kids. They, they don't have the impulse control. Yeah. At this age group, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah, I think yeah. we forget as adults what that's like to be a little kid and what it takes yeah. to have that kind of self-control. I mean, let's be honest, we lose control sometimes as adults. It takes an right. enormous amount of emotional energy to hold back. You know, sometimes we don't, right? And same for our kids. It doesn't make them bad kids. It just means they have, you know, it's a skill that we can develop and we can learn to be better at it. Yes. I think it makes it, for me at least, it makes it extra hard sometimes because of the inconsistency. You know, a kid who really can control himself and, you know, be kind and thoughtful and careful you know, maybe he can do that, you know, in the beginning of the day when he's fresh, but not at the end of the day when he's tired. And, you know, we think like, what's the matter with him? He knows how to do that. Why would he behave this way? Hmm. And it's helpful to know that that ability is not going to be consistent. It's not helpful to get enraged when kids fall apart, right? because it's all part of growing and developing. Yeah. Just because we were capable and we did it in one moment doesn't mean that this is the same moment and the same can be expected of us now. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you both for taking the time to be here and share with our community today. Where can they find your books? Do you guys hang out online? Where can they find you for resources or workshops? Well, the books are available wherever books are sold. And we have a website. It's how-to-talk.com. Mm. So how to talk with dashes between the words.com. And we also are on Facebook, Faber and King. And we're on Instagram, parents. Yes. And we will link all of this in our show notes so that people can find you. And as you said, your books are sold wherever books are available. And if you're interested in the workshops, you can find out about that at our website, how-to-talk.com. Our app called How to Talk Parenting Tips in Your Pocket presents all the tools from the book in a very handy way to get at them. And if you want just an introduction to this whole approach, we have an app called Parenting Hero. They're all there on the website. Yeah. Appreciate you both. Appreciate your time being here. And thank you again so much for your time today. Aren't they just so much fun? I find their skills so practical and they're things that I can keep in my tool belt and take them anywhere with me wherever I go. And they lay out so many of them in their books that I feel like I always have something to pull on in my back pocket if something goes sideways. Now, saying that, that doesn't mean that I always do this perfectly. And sometimes we know all the skills, but our ability to apply the skills in the moment might be impaired by how we are feeling, whether we are struggling that day or at capacity that day or feeling ragey or irritable. So our own capacity and our own ability to regulate our own mental health and well-being really impacts how readily we can implement these skills. So if you are struggling with regulating and find that you know the skills to use, but have a hard time actually putting them into practice, there's two ways that I can support you through that. We have our Canadian Wellness Center where you can book in with a therapist to start to explore and uncover what else might be going on there. Or I also have my All the Rage course with Psyched Mommy that helps to teach you how to manage your own anger and reactions and irritability in these moments so that you can actually use the skills that you've collected from this interview or that maybe you've read in other books that you might struggle to implement. So it's a dance between two of these things, making sure you have the right skills and you know what to do in the moment, but then also making sure that you yourself 
are feeling well so that you can parent well in these moments. This was just part one of my interview with Joanna and Julie. And in a few weeks, they'll be back for part two, where we get into how to manage whining. That nails on a chalkboard sound that can pretty much tip me over the edge on any given day. So subscribe to the show if you haven't already and make sure to keep an eye in the next couple of weeks for part two with Joanna and Julie. If you found this conversation helpful or you've been personally impacted by the Happy as a Mother podcast, I ask that you would share that with me. Leave a review on iTunes so that I can hear and know the impact this podcast is having or share your favorite podcast episode with a friend. You never know where somebody else is at in their motherhood journey. And even something like offering a resource to them can be a lifeline of support. Thank you so much for being here. And I can't wait to read and hear your feedback. On next week's show, we've got Lindsay Hookway, our holistic sleep specialist, returning to unpack the topic of safe sleep and bed sharing. We're talking co-sleep. We're talking bed sharing. We're talking guidelines, different cultures. We talk all the things. And this can sometimes be a very controversial topic, but it is important for us to have this conversation here on the show. See you back here, same time, same space, same channel for our conversation on co-sleep and bed sharing. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.